a very warm welcome to all of you. It's so great to have you here this morning. Let us pray together. The song just speaks so deeply. Our Father, our wellness does not come from us. It comes from you. Our identity is so locked up in who you are. And we just want to say thank you this morning. We are well because of what you have done on the cross for us. And Lord, as a church, as your family, we come and sit this morning at your feet because we want to learn from you. You are such an amazing God. Teach us your ways, please. Meet each one of us exactly where we are, Lord. And will you do a new thing in our hearts today, please? Lord, we love you. There is no one like you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The last time I have the opportunity to greet you as beloved and little children, <laughs> not in a derogatory way, but that is the way that John 13 times in this letter refers to the people he was writing for. This epistle, we are going to look at the last nine verses today, is the most personal, most intimate of all the letters. And as we look at these last nine verses, John wants us to have something and he wants us to know something. He wants us to have joy. And that comes from chapter one, verse four, that he says that your joy will be complete. And then he wants us to know. And he says, I want you to know him, verse 20. Shall we just pray and ask God to help us with that? Our Father, thank you that you want us to have this incredible joy that we can be complete. And at the same time that you want us to know you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for John that wrote it such a long time ago, but it is so applicable, every word of it, every sentence of it, for us here today. It's just another reflection of your amazing, amazing grace and love for us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we say a big thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning? Thank you. Thank you, Clay. The background to this passage again is that John was writing this letter, and it's very interesting, the letter. Many people say it's not really a letter, it's more a memo, because there are no introductions and there are no conclusions. He just finished off by saying, little children, do not worship idols. Because it was so meaningful to the churches that were struggling with two main issues in their lives. The first one was false prophets came in and said to them, Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not the Savior. And the other one is Jesus is not the Son of God. 
and they were misleading, they were confusing the people. And John was writing this letter to bring clarity. And that is why he said, I want you to have and I want you to know. I want you to have joy and I want you to know him. Let's journey through it verse by verse. Can I just say it's going to be a little bit different this morning because in between we are going to stop and pause because one of the big emphasis in John's letter is he wants us to apply it. He doesn't just want it to be knowledge in our heads. He wants to drop the knowledge into our hearts and into our hands that we can apply it and do it. Verse 13, the first thing he wants us to have under joy is I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you, those of you who, to, who believe in the name, that you may know that you have eternal life. In John's gospel, he talks a lot about believing, but he wants to take the believing into knowing. And in this verse, he says that you may know that you have eternal life. Beloved, little children, the meaning of that is you are deeply loved by God, and you are deeply loved by John, or in our case, by us, by one another. Why do we struggle so much with our assurance of salvation? It's a big battle. I would say next to unforgiveness, it's the second biggest thing that believers struggle with is assurance of salvation. I'll never forget when I came to know the Lord. The f at least the first two years of my journey with Jesus, whenever I came to a service and somebody prayed the sinner's prayer, I would repeat it again and again and again and again because I did not have assurance of salvation. What makes us doubt our salvation? The I just noted a few things. There are many more and maybe different for each one of us. But the first one is sin. And in Hebrews 12, he says, let us lay aside every weight or sin which clings so closely to us. Other tr translations say that so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with endurance. Sin entangles us. It feels like we are in the swamps. We cannot move. And when we cannot move, we begin to question God and question His salvation, question His promises. The second one tied to sin is guilt and shame. I was about, I think, 16 or 17 years old. I was about my father's height at that time, and one day I looked in his cupboard for a nice new shirt that, I, that he bought. I thought I would look very cool in this shirt. And then I discovered, to my horror, a pornographic magazine, most explicit. He just came back from Sweden. My father was an electrical engineer. He went there for a course 50 years ago. Sweden legalized pornography. There was no internet or anything else that you can watch it on. And I discovered this magazine in his cupboard. It was horrific. My eyes popped out, my brain fused, my heart skipped a beat. And then I thought I was the main peanut in the package and invited all my friends to come and watch this horror. 
Today, I regret it. After one month, I wanted to show it to somebody else, and it was gone. I thank God. The destruction of that pornography, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, is horrific. Since that day, and it's nothing to do with me, I have fled from it as far as I can. We live in a society where zero is no pornography and 10 is explicit. Our whole society with advertisements, the way people clothe, etc., we are living between a three and a four without doing anything. And then those thoughts take us places where we begin to doubt God, His salvation, His sacrifice on Calvary. We go through life backwards like this. We are giving the devil an opportunity. He did the same with Adam and Eve. He said to them, did God really say that? He questions God. He questions His word. And that makes us putting a big question mark behind the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Another reason why we doubt our salvation is maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've heard the truth. Maybe you think coming to church or attending or reading your Bible makes you a Jesus follower. Sorry, it doesn't. In verse 12, the previous verse, John spells it out so clearly. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You cannot get it simpler like that. Now, what is the consequences of us doubting our salvation? We live continuously introspective lives. If we do not have assurance of salvation, we cannot move forward with the Lord. All our lives is just churning around inside of us. We live a life full of fear, not of faith and confidence in God. And we cannot follow him wholeheartedly. We live a double life. We live one life here in the church where everybody sees us and smiles us and greets us and is nice to us. And when we get home, we are the terror or the devil himself. We don't speak. We treat everybody like rubbish in our homes. That is the consequences of it. And John says, I want you to have assurance of eternal life. I want you to experience the joy of assurance of salvation. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. How can we pray for that? The second thing that he wants them to have is in verse 14 and 15. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Just bear with me because it may sound very confusing. I just want you to start with the sequence that he's talking about. He first starts with assurance of salvation. If I have that assurance of salvation, the next word that he uses in verse 14, he says, and this is the confidence. In other words, from assurance, he moves to confidence. Now I have confidence in my Lord. 
the confidence then moves me to, I can ask him anything according to his will. The next one, it moves me to the confidence that he will hear. And that means he moves me to the confidence that I have received the request that I've asked. Isn't it a magnificent the domino effect? And it all starts with the assurance of salvation that gives me confidence to ask that he hears and that I will receive it. So the first joy that he wants us to experience is the joy of salvation. The second one is the joy of seeing our prayers answered. That's the second joy that he wants us to have, that he wants us to experience. Prayer is not about getting what I want, but it's about getting God's desires. Prayer is not about my needs and about my greeds, but it's what is pleasing him, what is on his heart, what is on his will. James said it so beautifully in James chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. First of all, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. So often when we found ourselves in the swamps questioning who God is, then we don't ask. Many of us have so been so disappointed in our prayer lives. We've asked God for things and it never happened. We've experienced so much pain and therefore we don't never venture there anymore to ask God anything. We just as well live our lives ourselves. I'll say a prayer when I come to the church or somebody else can pray for me. John wants to invite you back. He says, come and ask. Experience the joy of asking him again. So James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then secondly, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. And what does he mean by wrongly? He says, to spend it on your own passions. John says, let's come back. Let us work with our master and ask according to his will. So how do I pray then according to God's will? Beloved, when we talk about prayer and praying about God's will, it sounds so simple, but it is not simplistic. Prayer and God's will remains a huge ministry. I do not have a handle on God's will. I'm a learner just like you. But I've made a decision. I will not stop asking in spite of all the disappointments, all the things I do not understand. I will continue to ask. Helen Rosevier was a missionary medical doctor that worked in Africa. Did a magnificent work until the Mau Mau, the rebels, came and beat her up and raped her and abused her and she was lying there. And God asked her this question. Helen, would you be willing to say thank you to me that I trusted you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? We always talk about us trusting God. God saying to her, will you trust me? The day she was lined up with the others to be shot and killed, a young man ran forward and he stood in front of the 
man that was giving the orders. He said, you can shoot me, but you do not shoot Helen Rosevier. They all dropped their guns. They didn't shoot her. Can you give thanks to God in the midst of all the pain that you are experiencing? Because God is trusting you with his love. How do we pray then according to God's will? I don't have the answer. I only have a few suggestions. The first one is, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but your will be done. It starts off with submission, submitting to God, and to live a life of submission. It's great to come on a Sunday morning and say, God, I submit to you. But when the heat gets turned on, we become very quickly very independent. It starts off by submitting ourselves to God. Not my will, but your will be done. The second place, we pray the will, the will of God by praying the word of God. The word of God is the will of God. And that's why he wants us to study his word. And in the third place, he has given us the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. The Holy Spirit knows what is on the Father's heart. Romans 8 says, we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because he knows what is on the Father's heart. So he helps us to pray. Let's pray under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then we have one another. This morning before I am sharing with you, I asked Cameron, I said to him, Cameron, play, pray with me, please. I'm struggling. It was such a joy for him just to pray with me. We need one another on this journey. God's will, can I share with you what Romans 12 verse 2 says about God's will? <laughs> it's me so beautiful. He says God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It's good for you and for God. It's acceptable for you and for God. It's perfect for you and for God. Can I go back to my pornography magazine? It's horrific what I've done. And I feel appalled to inviting my friends to come and watch it with me. But the day it went away, it was good for me. It was perfect for me. Because that exposure made me break with it. Run from my lustful flesh. His will is good and acceptable and perfect. And then the last thought about God's will. When we seek God's will, listen carefully. When we seek God's will, we shun Satan's will. We turn our backs upon it. It is when we are trying to keep neutral ground, a foot in both worlds, that we fall. So the second thing that John wants his followers to have is to have their prayers answered. The first one, assurance of salvation. And the second one, ask anything according to our Father's will. He wants us to have joy in seeing our prayers answered. And then the third thing that he wants us to have is in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, and he repeats this sentence three times in these two verses. Sin not leading to death. So, 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. Let me just pause there for a moment, and then I will carry on. God wants us to have life. He wants us to have community. We are the body of Christ. We need one another. This journey is rough. This journey is intense. But what do we normally do with our brothers and sisters? We beat them. We get mad at them. We talk behind their backs. We criticize them. John is saying, let's break these sticks that we use to beat one another up with. Let's pray for them that God will give them life. Isn't that beautiful? When you and I have a pain in our body, do we start beating ourselves up? No, why do you do it with the body of Christ? Let's put our sticks down, beloved. Let's pray for one another that God will give us life. Let's follow the rest of this verse. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. In other words, God will give them life. Then he says, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that, do not, that does not lead to death. He talks about two sins in our lives. A sin that does not lead to death and a sin that does lead to death. What are they? The day you choose to follow Jesus the day you have decided to make him Lord, the day you get assurance of salvation. Beloved little children, no sin can separate you from the love of God. That's what he wrote in Romans 9. No heights, no depths, no powers, nothing can separate you from the love of God. When you are his child, yes, you sin. He's very clear about this. All sin, all wrongdoing is sin. Can I just pause for a moment? I hear so many people talking about mistakes and not sin anymore. There's a huge difference between the two. Mistakes you do unintentionally. I drive down the road, I'm supposed to turn right, I turn left. It's a mistake. I make a U-turn and I'm on my way following my GPS. I made a mistake. I'm in the kitchen busy fixing my coffee and I put salt in instead of sugar. It's a mistake. My mind was somewhere else. I fix it. When it comes to sin, we try to fix it as well. Sin is against God. It is intentional. You have decided not to follow His word, His desires, what the Spirit has put on your heart to do. Let us confess our sins. Let's not label them mistakes and want a quick fix to get out of it. The other day, I was leaving home, and I said to Karen some unkind words. But I was, I was wrong. I was totally wrong. But my stubbornness, 
and my pride and my arrogance kept me from humbling myself and saying, you know, I'm sorry. I was halfway somewhere and I turned around because this verse struck me so hard in 1 Peter 3 verse 7. It says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I thought by myself, what in the world am I doing trying to move away from sinning? All my prayers will just get stuck right here. They will not go anywhere because I've not honored my wife in the way that she should be honored. I turned around immediately and I went back. I said, that just leads to a powerless life, living continuously in sin. What is the sin? So the first one, the sin that doesn't lead to death is, when you love Jesus, none of your sins can separate you from the love of God. You need to confess them, and you need to make right with God, but they cannot take you to eternity without God. The second one, however, is completely different. There is a sin that leads to death, and that is from Acts 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. You have committed a sin that leads to death. And John says, I'm not saying you must pray for the sin, but pray for the person that, that he will remove that heart of stone and that God will give them a heart of flesh, that he will remove the veil that is blinding them so that they can see the magnificent light of Jesus Christ. Let's pause here. I want us to pray for these three things that he wants us to have joy with. The joy of the assurance of our salvation. The joy of answered prayer. And the joy of enjoying community. By putting our sticks down and praying for one another to see God bring healing. I must interrupt and say a big, big thank you to you. Why? Because so many people that I meet that comes to us for the first time say the thing that touches me more than anything else is the community that I experience with you. The love that I have or that I've seen that you have for one another. So a big, big, big thank you for the way you are living community already. But if there is someone that wants to say today to God, God, I want to draw a line. I do not want to live in the swamp of doubt anymore. Let me explain to you what happened to me. I shared with you that I doubted. I so often said that prayer. And then one day, our pastor gave us a small booklet to read. To read. It had a funny title. Should everyone have a birthday? I thought, isn't that ridiculous? I cannot stand here until, unless I have a birthday. But I was clueless. He was talking about a spiritual birthday. And after two years of doubting, I read through it and I said, this day, 3373, is my spiritual birthday. And I never looked back. It brought assurance also in the light of God's promises, the two things 
Now, never, nobody is going to ever check your spiritual birthday. You don't have to submit it when you apply for your passport or your social security or your birth certificate. It's between you and God. But I want to ask you today to leave with that assurance of salvation. Because it ties you up. You are not able to move with God and for God. If you want to pray today for assurance of salvation, I'm going to give you the opportunity in a moment. If you want to pray today and say, God, I've taken a step backwards. I do not have the joy, the freedom, the confidence to ask you things according to your will. God, I want to take a small new step forward and trust you again in ways I've not trusted you before. And the third one, Lord, I want to put down my sticks. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to come alongside. Yes, we all need correction. I need people to come alongside me and say, Francois, when you do this, it's not honoring to God. It doesn't exclude that. But after I have prayed, so God can give them life. If you want to ask any of these three things so that God can give you joy, so that your joy can be complete again. Will you mind standing? And I will just lead us in a prayer. Anyone that want to pray for assurance of salvation, for your prayers to be answered, and for you to build community. And can I ask you that you do not go home today unless you have assurance of salvation. Many of us will stand here in the front willing to pray with you. But make this day, we're going to pray again the prayer that we ask God to accept us as his children. Maybe you've never accepted him. Then today is the day for you also to do that. But let's make May 15, 2022, our spiritual birthday, and let's move on from there and not stay whether we are saved or not saved, whether we have eternal life or not have eternal life. Our Father, we stand before you today. John wrote it so clearly that we may know that we have eternal life. Lord, we confess to you today that we have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we repent, we turn around, we accept you, the gift of God for eternal life, with a promise that if we have the Son, we have eternal life. We receive you, we believe you, and we want to ask you to help us today to know that we have eternal life. Lord, also, we've been struggling with our prayers. We've done our own thing. We've not lived in submission to you anymore. We've been hurt, disappointed, pain. We just want to take a step forward again and say, we trust you, Lord. We once again want to ask of you anything according to your will. Will you not teach us to pray, please? And Lord, forgive us that we so often use our sticks on our brothers and sisters. And we're not praying for them, not loving them, not coming alongside them, even our families, even our children. Forgive us. But in this day, we break this stick. We lay down our arms 
and we embrace this family that we have this huge privilege for to be part of. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to the next three verses where John talks about this is what he wants us to have. He wants us to have joy, joy through salvation, joy through answering our prayers, and joy through being community. And now the three things that he wants us to have, sorry, that he wants us to know, not have. The first one is have, have joy. This one is know. All three verses, verse 18, 19, and 20, all three starts with, we know, we know, and we know. What does he want us to know? Verse 20 answers it, that we may know him. He wants us to know him. How do we do that? And he answers it in verse 18. We know that everyone that has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he, Jesus in other words, who was born of God, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. It's interesting that in both verses, 18 and 19, he references the work of Satan. If we love God, we are born of God. And therefore, we have not a desire to continue in sin. Do we still sin? Yes, I'm the chief sinner among all of us today. We still sin, but we do not woefully choose to sin every day anymore. And then he uses the contrast. In his letter, John uses contrast to explain the way of his writing, and he says, but he was born of God, protects him. Jesus protects him, and the devil has no touch on him. In other words, the devil cannot come and drag you away. He cannot put you in hell anymore. He protects you. He has put his arms around you. You are sitting on his lap. You are protected by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that he wants us to know is that we are protected. The second thing is verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Again, the contrast. We are from God. God lives in us. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. On the other side, the world. The world is those that do not know Jesus, that have not received him, that have not accepted him. They lie in the power of the evil one. The evil one is directing their ways. The evil one is leading them. So the second thing that he wants us to know is the power of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. So the first one they wanted to know is you are protected. The second one, the power of God is at work in your life. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And the third thing he wants you to know is in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. How do we do that? And who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. The third thing he wants us to know is our position. We are in God. We are in his Son. And his Holy Spirit is in us. 
totally secure. He wants us to know our position because it's from that position that we can know him. And look at the beauty of it. As we know him, our joy will be complete. And as our joy is being complete, filled with joy, we want to know him more. And it just becomes like a snowball. The more we know him, the more joy that we have in our journey with him. And then he closes with this one verse, 21. Little children, in other words, deeply loved by one another, keep yourselves from idols. Your idols determine what you become. In other words, if your idols are false and empty, you become just like them. You become false and empty. You've heard about the dog syndrome that the en- um, owners take on the character of the dog. You've heard about it. I've seen many of them here in Florida. <laughs> the dogs are magnificent, but they become idols, and then we become like our idols false and empty. I know I am on thin ice, so please don't switch off. I love dogs. But I do not want us to make dogs our idol when the God of the universe is our king. Is the world your idol? The world is harsh and unforgiving. So what is the result? I become harsh and unforgiving. Do not remake this amazing God into your own image. We have been created in His image. So we find it great liberty to go and create a little God that will please us instead of living the other way around of submitting to Him, doing His will, following Him, joining Him in what He is doing. I want to close off by telling you a story that I've received from Karen and I have mentors. They live in Singapore. They are a Chinese couple. They mean just so much to us. I struggled so much with this message, and I called him and said, just help me, please. I, I cannot get it together. And he helped me very, very much. His name is Edmund and Anne Chan. And then he shared with me this story. It was for me so special, tying into what we've been talking about. It's a story that took place in 1941 aboard the USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor. The date was December 7th. It was 8.06 in the morning. First, Seaman Donald Stratton found himself in an inferno. One million pounds of explosive has just gone off in his station on the battleship. He was edging on life and death. He was burned two-thirds of his body. There was a line between the USS Arizona and the neighboring ship. And he was still through the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl of Nebraska. And he grabbed this rope with the last strength that he had, and hand over hand, 
he moved over to the other ship. It was a long, long, difficult road of recovery for him. Eventually, he was discharged from hospital. He went home. He spent a year there. And then he enlisted again in the Navy. And they sent him to Okinawa for the rest of his, until the end of the war. When he came back, he wrote down some of his reflections. And he wrote this. He says in his reflections, highlighted that every American is in debt of the gallant personnel who had sacrificed themselves so that others can live. To emphasize his indebtedness, he wrote a very short poem, poem that I want to share with you. It says, Dear Lord, lest I continue my complacent way, help me to remember that somewhere, somehow out there, a man died for me today. As long as there be war, I must answer, am I worth living for? Can I answer that question for you today? Jesus answered that question 2,000 years ago. 10,000 times 10,000, you are worthy to die for. The question we should rather ask today is, am I living a life worthy of my king that laid down his life for me? Shall we pray together?